Well, you, Professor Jeffrey Sachs, you are the chair of Lancet's COVID-19 commission. And recently in Spain, you commented that you believed that the that COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 originated due to blunders of US biotech. I wonder if you could expand on that and discuss the role of the EcoHealth Alliance, which was a channel for USAID and Pentagon DARPA funding to the Wuhan Institutes of Virology, which remains a key culprit in the origins of COVID. Yeah, basically the virus SARS-CoV-2 that causes COVID-19 disease is a uh, sarbacovirus, a, a bat virus that is also called a SARS-like virus because it's uh, the same uh, subgenus as the virus that caused the SARS outbreak in 2003-2004. But there's a, a piece of the genome of this virus that makes it really infectious. And that is called the cleavage site that sits on the spike protein that we all learned about and that allows the spike protein to be cleaved or divided and thereby enter human cells much more easily. SARS does not have this kind of cleavage site. SARS-CoV-2 is the only virus of this bat family, sarbacovirus family or SARS-like virus family that has a proteolytic cleavage site. And the specific cleavage site is called the furin cleavage site. And it's four amino acids that make this thing so infectious that it became a, a global disaster with 18 million deaths. The operative question is, where did that come from, given that it is the only uh, furin cleavage site in this family or subgenus of viruses? Well, they didn't tell us at NIH, but we found out through leaks and lawsuits and all the rest, and by uh, because insiders knew about this, that one of the uh, projects of NIH funding was to insert furin cleavage sites into SARS-like viruses. They thought that was a good idea to make construct viruses that would be more dangerous. Why? Not sure, but uh, one possible reason is for making vaccines against dangerous SARS-like viruses or uh, potential use uh, of this class of virus as a biowarfare. We don't know. We just don't know. But what we do know is that there was dangerous research underway. And we also know that when this virus first showed up in Wuhan and people said, whoa, what is this? And the virologists looked at this in the uh, NIH group, National Institutes of Health group out of Fauci's shop. They said, whoa, look at that furin cleavage site. What is that doing there? And how did that get there? And on February 1st, 2020, there was a secret call. It's not secret anymore because of Freedom of Information Act, but there was a call where a group of virologists said, whoa, 80-20, this came out of a lab. Another one said, I can't even think of how nature could have done this one. Another said 
Now, four days later, NIH oversees a draft paper that says definitely natural. And I call that definitely weird. And people should go to the website of US Right to Know, which has done a terrific job in these lawsuits. And Emily Kopp, a fantastic investigative reporter, has laid out this remarkable week where inside they say natural, and a few days later they, I'm sorry, inside they say lab, and a few days later they say natural. Not that they learned anything over those three days, but they decided to tell us a narrative. This is how government works. It creates stories. It doesn't search for the truth. It doesn't aim for the truth. It doesn't tell the truth. It creates stories. And for weird, understandable reasons that Noam Chomsky and others uh, have talked about for decades, the big media go along with these stories. But they're very dangerous because these are stories. This is not real investigation or, or reality. So let me say clearly, we don't know exactly where this virus came from, but whoa, there is a lot of weird stuff and a lot of bad behavior by NIH. And very interestingly, the head of the Centers for Disease Control in 2020, Bob Redfield, said inside, hey, this really could have come out of a lab. And what did Fauci do? He cut him out of all the process. And so he played the bureaucratic heavy and out came a narrative and the head of CDC with a lot of expertise in this area was completely shut out because he said, you know, there's another side to this story. We need to look at it. So what the Lancet Commission concluded, because we don't have the lab notebooks, we don't have the lab records, but what we can see is there is a pathway by which this could have come out of the laboratory for sure. There's absolutely no, nothing even remotely close to definitive that it came out of the marketplace that's been much talked about. There's so many holes and flaws and gaps in that story that it, it, it's nothing close to being definitive and perhaps is just a place where sick people went and sneezed on, on cages. And because of what's called ascertainment bias, that's where they looked in the, in the beginning because they thought maybe they thought or they decided that maybe it came from the marketplace. But the point is we have two viable hypotheses and we need to know. And one of the reasons we don't know about the lab is that the US government Fauci shop has not told us the truth about what they were doing, what the risks are, what they thought, and uh, how this uh, group made these early decisions. And because we don't know, we also don't know what else is going on. What other research is still going on? What other dangerous stuff is going on? Probably, I don't know. I shouldn't say probably, I don't know. But what I do know is nobody knows uh, except the inside of the inside. And that is not a, that's not a safe situation for this world. Well, presumably Anthony Fauci knows. Um, we know uh, that after 9-11, his uh, National Institute for Allergic and Infectious Diseases 
NIAID received billions from uh, or under the watch of none other than Dick Cheney to conduct what were seen as biodefense programs, but which you have just acknowledged could also be biowarfare programs. Um, yeah, and but either way, what is what is not evident to a lot of people is that Fauci's shop is the biodefense shop of the US government. It's it's where the defense dollars go. And, you know, maybe they didn't make this virus, but they don't want us to know what's going on. And well, that's Let's drill this down. Um, yep. Anthony Fauci in April 2020 promoted a Nature magazine article which claimed that COVID originated from nature. And through FOIA requests, the public learned that Fauci was involved in at least corresponding and collaborating with the virologists who put together that article. Uh, he, he, he probably was involved in the creation of that article itself. And this was a Cheney-esque act. It was like Cheney trying to sell the Iraq war. So the question here is, uh, what, do you, what role do you think not Fauci played not only in the cover-up, but possibly in the origins of COVID-19? And to what extent can he be held accountable? First of all, that article is an awful article. It's, it's called The Proximal Origins of SARS-CoV-2. It appeared in Nature Medicine in uh, March uh, 2020. Uh, and when I read it the first time, I said, oh, okay, this is natural, you know, uh, they explain it. And when I went back after I, you know, began to get what was going on, because I didn't get it at the beginning, the most remarkable thing in that paper, it, it just makes your eyes <laughs> bulge. In the moment they say it couldn't have come out of a lab, because after all, this is this new virus is unlike any previously reported virus is is the line in there then the footnote to that which is footnote 20 is to a 2014 paper what a joke they're talking about an outbreak in 2020 and they say it couldn't have been from the lab and they cite a 2014 authority for that most crucial claim and if this were in the least an honest paper, the scientists would have said, we don't know because we haven't seen the lab books. We don't know what the research was, but this is not an honest paper. It was a designed narrative. Now, what really happened, we don't know, except that there was a lot of dangerous research funded by the US government, including NIAID, and they were quite gung-ho on this gain-of-function work and the technology to make a SARS-CoV-2 virus was pretty plain and we have very clever uh, bioengineers in the United States that charted this out in a 2017 proposal to the Defense Department Page 10 says we have 180 previously, more than 180 previously unreported viral strains. And on page 11, it says we're going to look for proteolytic cleavage sites and where they don't exist, we're going to insert them. And you say, holy hell, you are. Thanks for telling us, except they didn't tell us that had to be leaked from inside the US government for us to know about that. So they charted out the handbook of how to make SARS-CoV-2. And then with the straight face, they've just ignored that the whole time, even till now. 
These same scientists that reached the conclusion in March 2020 couldn't have come out from a lab. Now they're told, well, there were more than 180 previously unreported strands. That comes out. Do they change their mind? Do they say, oh, we didn't know about that? No. They just carry on straight face. This is not science. This is a concocted narrative. What it means, I don't know, but it needs an investigation, which is what I've been calling for. And, and, and on that investigation, um, Sam Husseini, who's a friend of the Gray Zone, veteran researcher on US bioweapons, helped publicize and expose the role of the US NGO EcoHealth Alliance as a channel for USAID funding for gain of function research. And we know that EcoHealth Alliance was helping to direct the research at the Wuhan Institutes of Virology. Um, Dazak, when you appointed him to chair the task force you ran for Lancet was already on the World Health Organization Commission. He signed and organized the Lancet letter dismissing the lab origin as a conspiracy theory. He obviously had a conflict of interest because of the funding of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, even though he ridiculously denied there was a conflict there. Um, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the role of EcoHealth Alliance and how Peter Daszak wound up under your watch as the chair of the task force. Didn't this waste a lot of time? And who, who initially put him forward to chair the task force? No, it, 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 it's a very simple story. Uh, in early 2020, I believed the natural uh, hypothesis because that's what the scientists were saying. And I didn't have any reason to question that. And I didn't know about the research that was going on. And then I was asked to chair the Lancet Commission. And I thought, well, who's the guy that knows about zoonotic spillovers? Who knows about what's going on with the viruses? So I asked Dasha, no one, no one put him forward. There was no ulterior thing. There was just my naivete uh, in uh, that first six months. So I asked him to organize this thing. Then I learned he's not telling me the truth on many things. And it was my own eyes opening up and being briefed by a number of scientists and being guided. Jeff, look at this, understand this. This is how this works. This is the research that was underway. You know, I had a two year crash course in virology uh, that uh, was uh, quite wonderful with a lot of very generous scientists helping me to understand this. But what I did know, and I know a lot about government because I've worked with a lot of governments over the last 40 years, I knew that there was lying going on. And the more I looked into it, the more the lies. And so that's after at one point I said to Dasha, uh, show me your project documents. He said, I can't. I said, what do you mean you can't? You're, you're on a commission that's a transparent commission to get to the bottom of this. You show them to me. I can't. My lawyers say I can't. Oh, your lawyers say you can't. Well, you can't be on the commission anymore. Okay, so that was the first step. Then the rest of the scientists all attacked me. Uh, you know, you're uh, attacking science and so forth. Then the next Freedom of Information Act lawsuit dropped the next piece. And then I found out the one that was attacking me the most for dismissing Dashik was a co-investigator with Dashik. So I saw I who, wasn't who was getting- that? Who was that? That's uh, Jerry Kirsch at Boston University. Uh, and uh, somebody I was friends with for a long time, but he went after me. And then I find out, you know, he's, they're, they're all one way or another, not 
letting on. And it's, by the way, it's not a big group. It's a pretty small group, but it's the inside group. They have the inside track on NIH. It's a small group that uh, has uh, talked to each other since the beginning. It's a small group that was assembled to uh, write this stuff. And it was pretty unpleasant. Uh, and, uh, and I saw that, you know, this is not, this isn't about science. This is about transparency. This is about finding out what's really going on. NIH, you know, in the lawsuits releases redacted documents, meaning blanked out. And one of them is the 2020 review of its research on these viruses and it's 290 blank pages. And then they want trust from us. Come on, if you want trust from us, show us the document, not blank pages. So this is why we need an independent investigation. Let me ask a related follow-up, taking this back to Ukraine as we wrap. Uh, we've seen these allegations or rumors of U.S. biological weapons labs. That speculation was fueled earlier this year when Victoria Nuland was asked about it by Marco Rubio, but didn't give a direct answer. Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. Do you think there's any merit to these rumors or allegations that the U.S. has been involved in a biological weapons program inside of Ukraine? Merit that we need to find out. We have a system of government which in principle, if you're in seventh grade civics, or at least when I was 50 years ago, or it was more than 50 years ago, we learned that there were congressional committees that would oversee the behavior of the executive branch. That's what we need right now. I don't know the answer to this, but I know we need oversight. And what I know for sure is we have not had transparency on these key issues. And sad to say, really since 1947, with the National Security Act and the creation of the CIA, our government, when it comes to issues like this, operates in secrecy. We say that we're a democracy, but the public doesn't know. We're not told. When I was young, long time ago, the New York Times actually used to do investigative reporting. You'd be surprised. Uh, they, they, uh, they didn't believe what Johnson was saying and Nixon was, was saying about, uh, about Vietnam, and they were right. And there was the Pentagon Papers, and there was Watergate. And when I grew up, it was normal that a reporter on the New York Times would actually look into something. Now it's like a different world. And so the impunity from the mass media is absolutely stunning. That's why, you know, what we're talking about and what you're doing is so important because we're not getting it from the sources that uh, are, quote, the, uh, the, the authoritative sources. What we're getting is the government line. Well, Aaron and, I, Aaron and I grew up in the Judith Miller era, maybe. Yeah, there you go. It, it's incredible. It's the opposite. Yeah, I, I grew up in the Seymour Hersh era yes. where I love these reporters. And, you know, <laughs> and their idea was bust these government officials for lying to us. And they don't have that view right now. Well, now we're conspiracy theorists if we 
follow in Cy Hirsch's footsteps. Oh, I, I was attacked that way today, yet again, by colleagues, you know, colleagues. And it's just, they don't understand. Uh, I mean, many people probably really don't understand what this consistent uh, narrative creation, lying, falsehoods, misdirection really is when it comes to all of these sensitive issues. And these issues are life and death issues for us. Well, it's remarkable that more people, more of your colleagues, it just seems remarkable to me that more of your colleagues don't speak out more. And they did seem to be more outspoken, at least within liberal circles during the Bush era when the Iraq war started to go bad. But now it seems that they've all adopted this mentality in favor of endless escalation. I don't know if you can speak to that. I don't know. You know, I'm not, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I, I vote Democratic, but uh, I, I don't feel that we're functional as a democracy. And, and uh, the last two Democratic presidents launched a lot of wars and engaged in a lot of secret operations, and I don't like it at all. And I think our foreign policy has basically been run by the neocons for 30 years. And uh, Victoria Newland seems to be in every administration. And so to my mind, I don't like this partisan game. Well, this is on our side, you know, Fauci's our guy. We can't attack him and so on. Come on, it's not, these are not partisan issues. These are issues about life and death that we need to know about. And uh, a lot of people still have a kind of partisan mentality that if the Democrats are in, don't attack. You know, you're, you're part of the team. But I don't feel that this is the right approach. Jeffrey Sachs, director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University, president of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network, and served as chair of the Lancet COVID-19 Commission. Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time and insight. Yeah, great to be with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for what you guys are doing. <laughs>